welcome to Deadhead Space. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Ghana, and all other major platforms, which includes Alexa. All you have to do is tell Alexa to play Deadhead Space Podcast for the latest episode every Monday and Thursday. And since there are less than six episodes ago, can't remember the exact count on the top of my head. Uh, coming next year, mid-January, Season 2, where you'll be able to find us on YouTube as well. So more on that later on. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, alongside my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hey, everybody. And today we're joined by designer and author of Devil's Creek, Todd Keesling. Say hi, Todd. Hi, Todd. And author, editor, formatter, and graphic designer, Kenneth W. Kane. Say hi, Kenneth. Hello. And uh, in this episode, we'll mainly be focusing on the recently released, um, the date's kind of still confusing to me, but I guess it's November 15th, uh, the release of One of Us, the charity uh, anthology, a tribute to Frank Michael Zarenton. Todd, we already asked you in episode nine when you were first on the show, so we'd like to ask uh, Kenneth first, what got you into horror? Uh, well, you know, a long, long time ago, I had a, I think it was like fourth grade, I had a teacher read me uh, one of the versions of uh, Baba Yaga, and I was just fascinated by that story. And um, so that, you know, kind of got me interested at a young age. You know, my, my mom was really into horror. So she um, I was allowed to watch shows like movies like Psycho and uh, The Omen, like when I was very young and uh, just kind of grew from there. And, and, you know, all the way up until my teens when I started read my first King King book and and uh, just kept going. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, I love that folkloric stuff, the Baba Yaga. Um, I I really uh, kind of did a little bit of a deep dive into that, and I stressed a little bit. Uh, it would show up a lot in uh, Mike Mignola's uh, Hellboy stuff, and I thought that the way that kind of weaved into um, his storytelling was, was really neat. Did you kind of... Did you follow up with that kind of folklore aspect of horror, or is that just kind of the start of things? You know, I did. I actually paid tribute to that story a little bit. I think it was in um, my collection, Embers. I wrote a story. I think it's called um, Under the Old Chicago Swampland or something like that, where it's kind of like an, uh, an alien version of uh, Baba Yaga's house. So instead of chicken legs, it has giant serpentine legs. And uh, Baba Yaga is uh, is an alien instead of a, you know, murderous alien instead of a uh, instead of a witch. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I, I love that story. Just, uh, you know, I was always more fascinated with the house than I was the aspect of the witch. Just a house running around on chicken legs just kind of stuck with me. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just fascinated by weird stuff like that, you know. That'll grab your attention, a house running around on chicken legs. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just like, you know, I like I like horror, but I also like the weird aspect of it. Like I, like you mentioned, um, like in the the new Hellboy movie, they had a, a Baba Yaga, and that was like my favorite part of that movie. I I didn't catch that one. Any any good worth watching? Yeah, it was decent. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie, but it was decent. I liked it. Um. So as far as you know, your kind of beginnings in in horror. Um. At what point did you decide you wanted to kind of become a storyteller on that? Well, I was like a. 
it was like 2007. So I've, I've taken a lot of writing courses at this point. Like I've, uh, I took writing courses in college and in, uh, in high school, but like 2007, I had a job. It was just uh, one of those awful jobs with an awful boss. And we were uh, in the midst of that, that recession. And, um, you know, we, our major client was Hershey. We did the packaging for Hershey candy bars and stuff. And uh, they were moving all of the Hershey work to Mexico. So we had like no work. And my boss was like, try to look busy. And I was like, okay. So I just started writing. <laughs> and that's when I got into it, you know, got back into it and um, just kind of focused on right then and there, just focused on trying to create it, make a career out of it, you know? Now, is there a point where um, y- you decided that editing was going to be a big piece of what you decided to do with it? That The editing part of it was actually kind of a surprise. Um, I, I was doing a lot of critique work for um, various authors, and one of them actually suggested to Joe Meinhardt over at Crystal Lake, um, you know, hey, how about how about let Ken uh, edit one of the Tales from the Lake? And uh, I've, I've been asked to edit other anthologies, but I was, you know, a little hesitant because I wasn't so sure of myself. I just got back from Borderlands Boot Camp and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be afraid of it anymore. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And yeah, that's- uh, from there, it was just all word of mouth. Just people just kept... <laughs> you know, suggesting that I do this and I do that. And so I've just been doing it ever since all word of mouth. Uh, that's interesting for, uh, those that don't know, I, I started really focusing on my writing in 2014 and it was weird. I don't know why, but I first fell into the, um, other side of the world's indie writing scene, which included mainly England and, uh, Joe Meinhardt, I don't know why those two, but I was just attracted to everything they were doing. And the whole time I've been following Joe and his his career, uh, you you've seemed to kind of been in a situation similar to what you are now with Silver Shamrock Publishing, which is that of a main editor within a very, in my opinion, very successful indie publisher. So yeah. how does that feel? Uh, it's incredible. I mean, uh, me and Ken. We get along so well, uh, talk almost every day, it seems like. And, uh, you know, we just appreciate each other's, uh, you know, attitude towards the towards writing and, and uh, you know, publishing and everything. And so I think that we just gel well. And again, that was all word of mouth as well. I mean, uh, I don't I don't know. Ken's told me several people who recommended me and, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how you can't be grateful for that. So. But again, it was like all kind of an, an uh, you know, unexpected. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sitting here one day and he contacts me out of the blue. Hey, how would you like to edit this? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> and it <laughs> just he, snowballed from there, you know? <laughs> I, I think he has his uh, ears and birds all over the place. So you just don't always know who's telling him what. And that's not anything but a compliment. That's what you're supposed to do as a publisher, I would think. Um <laughs> Now, how's it been working with – I know you just kind of went over it, but specifically with Silver Shamrock, because you guys, since you guys came up with the first anthology, it seems like two or three books come out every month. How, what is that like? How do you have time to write for your own fiction? Well, you know, for a while there, what I was doing is I was um, – because, as you know, like when I did uh, uh, Midnight in the Pentagram, I was also at the same time doing uh, Survive With Me. Can we talk about that super quick? Just a little yeah. shout out for that one. 
Yeah, this is um, by Alien Agenda Publishing. Just came out. So I was uh, I did this for Glenn Rolf. He asked me if I could do this while I'm editing Midnight in the Pentagram and one of us. He asked me if I could do this. And I was like, oh, I God. another charity anthology. So I was like, ah, I can't turn that down. Right. And, um, so I just got into it. And, you know, you find a rhythm. You know, you uh, for a while there, I was trying to do like a story from each every day. And uh, then it got to a point where I just started learning, you know, because I'm also editing the, all the books for Silver Shamrock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at one point I, I had like eight books going at once, plus two of my own, you know, two that I'm trying to sell of my own. Um, one, one that you guys read. Yep. And then another one that I uh, sold to another publisher that I can't mention yet. But um. Well, congrats. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. So I'm trying really hard to like, you know, work a little bit on every project and every day. And then I just finally got to a point where I go, you know what? This is going to be a one of us day. And this is going to be, uh, you know, midnight in the pentagram day. And just kind of separating out the days because it was getting a little confusing uh, with the emails. You know, there's a lot of emails that goes on with these. And, uh, you know, I think I sent Brian Keene an email for one of us when it was for midnight in the pentagram. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? what are you talking about, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, before we dive into uh, that that charity anthology, the One of Us charity anthology, which is probably going to take up the rest of this episode, um, Brennan, is there anything else that you think we should cover uh, to kind of get a feel for the main editor, well, the only editor for that charity? Is there any- um, no, I, I mean, I think we got the, I think we laid the foundation. So um, rather than jump right into the book, I would I would love to ask you guys and uh, Todd maybe we can throw it to you first. Sure. Who was Frank Michael Zarrington? Frank Michael Zarrington was a friend. Um, he was a close friend of mine. He was a close friend of Ken's. Uh, he was a friend of the genre. Uh, that's the thing that that struck me that, about him. This guy was tire, tire, tirelessly, because I can't talk, <laughs> tirelessly supportive of horror, the horror genre. Um, you know, this is a, a favorite story to tell. And I know Tim Meyer and Armand Rosamilia love to tell this story. Uh, so the first Beers and Fears uh, tour that they did, Frank was in the hospital because he Frank was having um, he basically was had in stage four kidney failure and he had been trying to get a uh, a donor, a transplant for a transplant. And he had been in the hospital due to complications for that. And the day that they were at um, Spellbound Brewery in New Jersey, it was the day Frank got released in the hospital and he went from there to the brewery to support those guys. He didn't go home. He was wearing the clothes he was wearing when they admitted him to the hospital. And I remember seeing him there and shocked because like to get there, it's a two hour drive for me. So when I left home, Frank's in the hospital still. <laughs> when I get there, Frank's there. And you know, that I, I bring that up because that just kind of shows you how dedicated he was to just supporting 
not just horror, but independent authors in the horror genre. And he it, he didn't care if you were traditionally published through a big five. He didn't care if you were published through a smaller publisher. He didn't care if you self-published. He did not care. He would review you. He'd read you. He would be honest. He wouldn't, you know, blow smoke up your ass. But, you know, he would at least give you the time of day. And that's that's Frank in my mind. That's that's Frank Arrington. You know, he always happy, always smiling. So, you know, always supportive. And, you know, he was a huge. um, He was a huge boost to me earlier in my career when it really started to, you know, kind of, you know, start walking on its own. Um, He was very kind to me. Uh, as a person, he was very kind to me as a reviewer. Um, you know, he, you know, he 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 read the first draft of Devil's Creek before, long before it was ever published, and he wrote a review for it, so he'd have it ready to go, because he had no doubt, and he had no doubt that that book would get published. And, you know, the night before the book went on sale, I posted his review, because. You know, that was for me like one of the biggest votes of confidence because at the time I thought, you know, no one's going to want to publish this because it's too long. And here I have, you know, one of the more well respected members of the horror community telling me this is a slam dunk. So much that I'm going to write you a review two years ahead of when it's going to get, you know, see the light of day. Uh, you know, I, I could. <laughs> I could spend hours tonight telling you guys stories, you know, uh, he was a regular, you know, member of Nikon. That's really where I I met him for the first time. It's where I got to know him. Uh, and his, um, he's missed his absence is left a void. I think in the community that won't be filled anytime soon. Uh, so, you know, again, I could go on and on, but in a nutshell, that is who Frank Michaels Arrington was. Uh, I, that's beautiful, man. Uh, kind of makes me really sad that I never got to talk to him. Kenneth, uh, sorry to put you on the spot, but your <laughs> turn, man. <laughs> no, just to, just to echo what Todd said, he uh, he, he definitely, like, you know, he had a, he had his books that he liked, and he w- he would support authors, uh, whether he liked their books or not. He was just always there. Um, like for instance, he he was fond of my collection Embers, but he had sat me down one day because uh, I had asked him to review Darker Days, and uh, he sat me down. He got there to my house early for our meetings. You know, he, he was a member of our of our group, and uh, he sat me down. and He goes, "Listen, I want you to know that I didn't really care for Darker Days as much as I did Embers." I was like, that's all right, man. You know, not every book hits it with every person. You know, that's that's all fine. He goes, you know, I'm going to give it a bad review. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> and then, you know, I guess he felt like I was upset with that or not. I don't know. But he was like, listen, it ended up not being a bad review at all. But he was like, listen, how's uh, Season and Help doing? And I was like, it's not, you know, it's not hitting as well as I thought, because I don't think the sports uh, theme went over as well with horror fans as I thought it would. And that night, Frank went home and he posted his review everywhere, did everything he could to promote a season in hell just to try to get it some momentum. You know, and that's the kind of guy he was. But even more so, I'll tell you, like, um, you know, putting out 
review requests for one of us. I'm, I'm, I, I, this is something that Todd doesn't know, actually, because I haven't told him this. But so many reviewers have gotten back to me and said, you know, absolutely. Frank was there when I was starting reviewing. Frank was there to offer me advice and tips, help, help me get started. And, uh, you know, you're, you're hearing this whole other side of him that you didn't even know about. It's just amazing. You know, he was just there for everyone. I don't even know how he found the time to do it. <laughs> That's awesome, Ken. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah, that really is. So he was just uh, a good guy. Just, uh, you know, sometimes I, I walk I walk up the past to, uh, you know, come downstairs to go to my office. and I look over and it's almost like I still see him on that couch. He had a spot on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> And he always had this, like, you know, you, we do live readings, and uh, every once in a while you just say the right combination of words for him, and you get this really coy grin, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> like a he, sinister yeah. grin. So, he'd, like, he'd, like, cheer for you when, you know, if you, in your writing and you're reading something aloud at the meetings, and he would get so excited, he would cheer whenever he would hear a phrase that he loved, and, uh, yeah. I'm getting chills thinking about that because he, you know, that again, he, he was passionate for the craft and the art of it. And the people. And the people. Absolutely the people. Speaking of the people, um, I can't really zoom in to see the cover itself, but it's a picture of Frank. Um, Let me see if I can. I, I don't know if those are all exclusively pictures of him. Or if they're, yes. uh, they are. Okay. He is in every single one of those photos, and most of them were taken by him. Oh, okay. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Who came up with the design? I did. How'd you settle on the pictures, so forth? Um, you know, obviously, when I, I, I mean. To make it to put a book together about Frank, I mean, obviously Frank's smile had to be the focal point. Um, and you know, I was going through his Facebook profile one night, just trying to come up with ideas, and I was thinking, you know, this has kind of got a bit of like a scrapbook feel to it. You know, uh, that was kind of what I was imagining for the interior. And when it, I guess I started looking at these mosaic photographs, they're composites of all the different different photos, how they all kind of make up one image. And so I just started downloading photos. I downloaded probably all of the photos on his public Facebook account. I went to his blog. Uh, I got some from Tony Tremblay's page. Thank you, Tony. Um, you know, it, I basically got as many as I could and then I took it into Photoshop, did some Photoshop magic on it and was able to come up with that central image. And it just, it was just Frank. I mean, like he, he, you know, he would always be taking pictures at conferences He would always be taking pictures at cons. He would always be taking pictures at events. He would always be taking pictures at our monthly HWA meetings. And, you know, I've got one of the first pictures I have. One of our I think it's the first time we met in your basement, Ken. Uh, 
we're all there sitting on the couch. Frank's there, but he's on his phone. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's taking it. He had just taken a picture. And so, you know, I, I it was one of those things where it was obvious, but not like I, I, I knew Frank was always taking photographs, but I didn't make that connection until I really started going through his photos. And, um, you know, I decided to give it a shot and took it into Photoshop, did some color, you know, color manipulation on it just to kind of bring it out. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's pretty much how that cover came to be. Um, you know, all the photographs in the book are either from him or, uh, several other folks who donated their photos to be used in the interior. Uh, yeah, there's like well over a hundred photographs in this book. Uh, <laughs> and you did that of, very quickly. I mean, uh, you put that cover, I mean, you just knew what you were doing. It seemed like, I mean, thanks. <laughs> And then everything went according to like plan. Like, had it. It's like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. It was very. It, it just seemed very quick. I mean, uh, he he uh, he almost seemed to have the mindset of what he wanted to do going into it. So it was great. That's awesome. Um, you know, at this while you were telling that story, Todd, this just came to me. I'd like to know if it's possible if you can pick one or you know however many you want. For the two of you, what are your, what's your favorite or group of favorite memories of Frank? Ken, if you don't mind, I'll start. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so my favorite memory of Frank is one that I shared in the I share in the forward. Um, it's where the title comes from, and you know, it's the it's really the first time I ever talked to Frank. And uh, so 2016, I'm at Nikon, first time. Uh, Joe Hill is there. I am terrified. (laughs) Uh, I'm feeling like a fish out of water. I I don't, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing there. I don't belong. I'm, you know, kind of falling back on those old insecurities from school and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I had... Just signed a, a, a two book deal with Crystal Lake, but nobody really knew who the hell I was. So, you know, I'm there with some friends, but I can't find them. I'm, you know, don't know where they are. Uh, I have anxiety, so I'm starting to panic a little bit. And I'm walking through the hotel lobby. I'm on my phone trying to find a signal because the signal at that place in Rhode Island is horrible. And, uh, you know, I hear this voice and I said, how you doing, Todd? And I look across the lobby and it's Frank and he'd been sitting in a chair watching me <laughs> kind of fret. And I, you know, kind of was freaking out and, you know, just telling him something to kind of, you know, brush him off and just, you know, I don't really want to go into my issues to a complete stranger right now. So um, in a nutshell, because I'm I'm waffling here. Basically, he said, you know, you don't you don't have to to worry about anything. You know, you're you're among your kind here. You know, you're one of us. And it was so it was such a simple thing to say, especially for a guy that really I uh, until that moment only knew as a name on Facebook. Um, it was such a simple thing 
for a stranger to say. But that resonated with me. And I came away from that weekend for the first time feeling like an author and not just some, you know, amateur writer trying to make it. I, I felt like I had something to say and contribute and that I was a part of something. And I attribute that to Frank. So, you know, that was the really the first time I ever spoke to him or first time he ever spoke to me, you know, in person. And, you know, it. I wish I'd known him longer. I wish I'd known him when I was a kid. I wish I'd known him when I was in my 20s. Because um, I feel like that man only had good in him. And the influence he could have with that goodness, uh, you know, I feel like he, what he did for me, I, I, I would like to believe he did for other young authors who were just getting started, you know, give, gave them that, not necessarily a boost in confidence, but just a, a boost in, well, I guess maybe I do mean boosting confidence, <laughs> just a means of believing in themselves a little bit and just kind of relaxing and thinking, you know what, you do belong here. You know, you're not, you're not the weirdo here. We're all weirdos here. <laughs> and, you know, you, you belong, you know, you don't need to feel like you're an outcast. You don't need to feel like you walked into the wrong room. You're talking to the wrong people. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I look at Frank. I mean, in general, it was this, 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 this level of comfort. That's, so that's, uh, sounds like a rare person to come across. He was, exactly. I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I've already told you one story, but I'll tell you, um, and Todd was there for this too, is, uh, we had a live reading at, uh, Fort Mifflin. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, like, like, like Todd said, Frank, Frank was just always there. So here we have this live reading and Frank shows up for it. And, uh, you know, I hate public speaking. I mean, I don't know if you guys, because I just feel like I'm, I feel like I sound like a Seth Rogen. So I can't stand my voice. You know, Frank knew a that. Little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I was like, you know, who the hell wants to listen to, you know, Seth Rogen read a horror story, you know, because they're, they're going to feel like they got to laugh. And I'm talking to Frank about it, and Frank's like, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. And, uh, you know, I'm reading, and I can feel my voice getting that hitchy tone. And and I look up, and there's Frank just, like, you know, smiling at me from the audience, calm and cool and collected, and just kind of, you know, calm me down. And and uh, that's just, you know, just his support was exactly what I needed at that moment, just to kind of recenter me, you know? Yeah, that was a good reading. That was a good time. It was. It was fun. It sounds like you guys are talking about like a real life version of Gandalf. Uh, kind of. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Makes me happy. He's my favorite character ever. So yeah, it just I, sounds like you're talking about a wise, older, very loving, very nature nurturing. You know, when we have our readings at the meetings, you'd, you'd see him, and he'd be sitting there on his phone one minute. You know, he's listening, but and you could tell he was listening, but he's on his phone doing whatever, and uh, all of a sudden he just go. And he like it looked like he dozed off. <laughs> and you're like, 
is Frank, you know, and we'd all kind of like look over him and like kind of smile, you know, and you'd be like, is Frank asleep? And, uh, and then all of a sudden he'd get that grin on his face and you'd oh, he's just closing his eyes listening, you know, uh, just kind of focusing in a different way. I do have a photo of him in the background asleep. <laughs> Uh, from Nikon, uh, he was sitting in the same row. He was at the end of the row of chairs during a, uh, one of the um, panels, and we caught him. He, the, whoever took the photograph, I think it might have been Tony Tremblay. Uh, you could see Frank. He just nodded off, and he's just <laughs> sitting there <laughs> asleep. I'm glad you brought up Tony a few times because I don't think he's talked about enough. But he's been he's been in the game in lots of different regards. So. Uh, I know this episode is about Frank, but can you just real quick for those that don't know who Tony is? I don't think he's I don't think he's uh, talked about enough, so it'd be nice if um, one of you guys talked about him. Nice guy, talented writer. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, very talented writer. He's a Bram Stoker nominee uh, for his uh, novel The Moore House. I think it was last year was nominated, maybe the year before. Right. Um, yeah, he's uh, you know he's got. A couple of books out. They're all through. Um, uh, wow. Ivan's. What is Completely. That? Oh, Haverhill House. Haverhill. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sorry, John McElveen. <laughs> That's John McElveen's press. Um, yeah. Uh, he's published there. It, he's also the kind of the informal Nikon photographer. <laughs> so he will. He's this guy. He's always got his camera and he is always lurking he's lurking and he's just there to get photos of everything you know and a lot of the photos on on my facebook that i'm tagged in are from him you know just from being at nikon several years and uh you know tony is just a great guy all around okay that's awesome yeah he seems like a great guy interacted with him quite a bit um on facebook uh, I got one more question about Nikon, and that is, did you finally talk to Joe Hill that their first experience <laughs> at Nikon? Yes, I finally did after the entire weekend of avoiding him uh, like a mouse. <laughs> I uh, was extremely hungover the last morning, and uh, he was in the breakfast line next to me, and I just looked over at him. I'm like, what's up, Joe? <laughs> and he's like how you doing he's got that you know that that new england maine accent you know that's the worst and uh <laughs> I'm like, i drank too much last night joe he's like that'll do it <laughs> but uh yeah i ended up getting i ended up getting a, a photo uh with him in the dealer's room nice and a lot of people say we look alike which is kind of funny just because we had the beard and everything, kind of the grayish streaks in our hair. and Yeah, uh, he's probably like, he, I doubt he even remembers me if I get the opportunity to see him again, but I was awkward as fuck. <laughs> I mean, if, I really think that it'd be hard to forget you after reading Devil's Creek. And you without a beard, that picture you posted, I think a month ago, of your first signing with your grandmother? Uh, wasn't my first signing, it was uh, for my second novel, but yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Didn't look like you at all. Uh, well, when the pandemic first kind of kicked in and, you know, they were, you know, first started getting used to wearing masks. I my beard was really long, so I ended up trimming it down, trimmed it down a bit too far. And 
I'm sure when we go back and look through my timeline in a few years, you'll see like a, a month long gap of no photographs. <laughs> it's because it's because me with like a, you know, a just a, a scruff on my face. I look like a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> Brennan, I want to go back real quick to, you know, the stories about Frank you guys were sharing. What I what I took away from uh, some of the memories you shared was just, you know, it, it it almost seems like the best that this community can be epitomized by one person. Um, and especially, you know, Ken, what, what hit me was the way that he read your collection and, you know, said he was going to give you a bad review, didn't, didn't care, didn't necessarily care for it, but said, how can I build up this author in a different way, though? What what can I do for this person? It's that and, you know, you both said it's that love of the genre, that love of horror fiction and the people who are associated with it and the people who create it. And you, you want to do whatever you can to get more of it, to support the people who create it. Um, and one thing, Todd, that I'm just so curious about and, and we'll we'll never know is how intentional was that moment? You know, he, he, I, I don't know if it's going too far as to say he, he changed your life, at least in that one small way, but how much of that was him just being a kind person and how much of that is saying I can do something good for this person. Um, and again, just kind of creating that confidence that leads to an author being able to you know go further and create in this genre that he loved yeah brian that's a, a question uh unfortunately i can't answer but i i love i love the implication of it yeah you know it, it's he, he he deliberately wanted to help writers i mean even if he didn't yeah. like the book he liked the people mm-hmm. and he would go i mean and that shows i mean uh, um you know let, let's put it let's be honest like not every review he put out there was a five, four or five star review no. And the response to one of us was overwhelming. And I'm not just talking about the names that you see in the book, but, you know, dozens of names that you don't see in the book that wanted to send something or, or couldn't send something or it didn't work out. Or, you know what I mean? There was just uh, so many people that wanted to contribute. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, one a, a guy comes to mind, you know, my friend uh, Anthony Rapino has a story in the book and you know, we sent Frank his Tony's uh, collection, Greetings from Moon Hill, you know, when it uh, was released. Um, and Frank didn't care for it. And he, you know, he gave it a, th- I think he gave it three stars. And, you know, his, his issues were fair. It's not like, you know, Frank wasn't a, he wasn't an unfair reviewer. I mean, he would actually justify give justification for why he was, you know, giving the reviewer felt the way he did about certain stories. You know, it wasn't just, I didn't like it. This sucks. Here's two stars or whatever. You know, he, that wasn't Frank. Um, so, you know, he, he didn't review. I mean, I don't think three stars is a bad review. He just wasn't like super in love with it. Right. And still, when I told Tony that we were putting this together, I encouraged him to submit something and he's like, Oh, absolutely. Frank was a great guy. You know, it wasn't, Again, you know, Frank was he was professional. He was fr- he but he was also friendly and he was also a champion of the genre, period. You know, it, it didn't matter if 
he didn't particularly care for something, you know, like with the situation with Ken and his second collection, you know, he still wanted to support and he still shared links about the book when it came out and everything. Um, And I think it's saying something that, you know, here's an author who got a lukewarm review from Frank, but still wanted to support this thing and tribute to him. You know, I, I think that says something about Frank's character and that, you know, he didn't he didn't have any enemies. You know, I mean, we're a genre that's definitely full of its own dramas and divisions and whatnot. But Frank was universally loved. I don't know of anyone who had a problem with Frank or his reviews. So, I mean, it, here's a, the, the interesting part about this is, you know, I told you I was working on two other anthologies at the time. So when we discussed doing this, I was I was very adamant about wanting to limit the the submissions. I didn't want to read, you know, hundreds and hundreds of submissions. So my rule was that, you know, uh, to start, you had to have been reviewed by Frank in order to submit something. And so I put up, you know, I went through like five years of gathering email addresses, you know, whatever email addresses I had or I could get. Um, and, uh, you know, which obviously wasn't everyone because some, some of the writers I didn't know or I didn't have contact info for. I went through like four or five years. I ran it by Todd, the names, and sent those emails out. And I said, hey, if you know anyone else that qualifies, you know, spread the word. And the word got around and, and you know, pretty, pretty well. <laughs> but there were people <laughs> that didn't qualify that wanted to send something in. And, and uh, you know, I, I think there was a few that we let in um, for other reasons. Um, but generally speaking, we stuck to our guns about that rule. And, uh, you know, imagine if we had let all those other people in, we probably could have, <laughs> we probably could have made a 500,000 word, uh, book here. <laughs> it would have been multiple volumes. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been crazy. <laughs> now so um, we kind of skirted sorry, around the edges a little bit. Um, we talked about, you know, who Frank was and we talked, uh, you already talked a little bit about, how uh, you chose contributors, but uh, tell us the story of beginning to put this book together, deciding you were going to do it and going from there. Oh, wow. It's uh, <laughs> uh, your idea. So, um, um, so I remember, so we were, t- we were kicking around the idea of doing an anthology for our Pennsylvania chapter. Our Pennsylvania chapter also doubles as our uh, our writing group. We call it the Mid-Atlantic Dark Fiction Society, or MADS. Um, and we were, because we're Pennsylvania, we were thinking about, what was it, like Revolutionary War themed? Yeah, yeah. We kind of like set like a deadline, and it, I don't know. I, I remember talking to Summer Cannon. She hadn't started her story yet. I hadn't started mine. And then... Frank passed away in May 2019 and uh, everything kind of just fell to the wayside. You know, we, I don't know. It just, everything kind of canceled our meeting, canceled our meeting. We, it just didn't seem as important to do a a revolutionary war anthology. And the more I thought about it, you know, I really felt like Frank was not, the heart of the group, but he definitely was a major part of it. And it felt 
I felt like we needed to do something to honor him. So I guess it was scares that care that weekend. Um, Tim Meyer and I are on our way to get something to eat. And he's asking me if I started my story. And I, I it's when I first floated the idea of doing an anthology about Frank instead. And then our next meeting, uh, which I think, I don't think I was there in person. I think I was, I joined on a hangout or something. Yeah. Uh, I, briefly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I threw out the idea of maybe doing something for Frank, like stories, anecdotes, anything really. And, um, that's, uh, that's kind of how it started. Uh, and Ken, to his credit, took it, took on the monumental task of compiling names and stuff. You know, he, he wore the editor's cap. Uh, I offered to write the forward and do the design. Um, you know, I wanted something that would really stand out. And, you know, I think between the, the content inside the book, you know, the book's overall appearance, I, I think we've accomplished that goal. Um, but Ken, man, I, I, <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to sift through that many stories and <laughs> deal with all those emails and deal with Amazon and chase Pete down and, <laughs> and everything. You know I, I had a lot of help with, uh, from summer cannon and Jackie day Pallone. They, uh, were, were like editorial assistants, uh, throughout the whole process. And, uh, um, lifesavers. I mean, there were some stories that I was on the edge about and I would have to go to summer and, you know, get a second opinion about it. Um, and she was brutally honest with everything, you know, it was kind of exactly what I wanted, you know, you know, don't hold any punches. Tell me the truth. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it worked out really well. I mean, I, I was, you know, I, I was lucky that Pete was like, pack this thing as full as you can get, you know, put as many stories as you can put in it. And, uh, and that was a great thing. And, but then I had to, um, you know, I wanted to accept everyone and obviously you can't. And, uh, you know, of the stories I rejected, some of those writers sent back new stories and they worked out better. Um, but others, other writers sent in stories that took a lot of work of back and forth, getting them up to par to fit in the book. And, uh, you know, actually that was just like a lot of fun. That part of it, just, you know, just making things work. Everybody was really easygoing. I don't think there was a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, problems at all. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Ken, I just got to point this out for audio listeners. I got a copy of Midnight in the Pentagram. I'm holding it up the width of it so you can see the just how fat this bastard is. It's uh, about 500 pages. Um, one of us is, what, close to, uh, was it? About 560 something. 556. Well, pentagram is also the font's bigger, so it's about 160,000 words, and one of us is 200,000 words. Yeah. And you got that third <laughs> novel with Glenn Rolf. Yeah. So I think it's very evident, knowing those things, that you and Ken McKinley are meant for each other. You two are crazy <laughs> Irish bastards that do a damn good job. <laughs> and, and I don't know how either one of you sleep. <laughs> I don't actually. He doesn't. <laughs> That actually makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, you know, it just, it just, 
I was writing, I have some, uh, you know, chronic illnesses and, uh, you know, causes a lot of problems in my, in my life. But at this, at that moment I was writing a high wave, you know, where I just felt great and everything was syncing up and, and the work was flying in and I was moving through it so fast. Uh, and that's how, how it works. You know, in this business, you're going to have downs, you know, you get rejection, 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 rejection. And uh, that will really knock you on your ass and keep you there, you know, and you have to get back up after every one of those rejections. But when you're riding the highs, you got to ride them hard. Yes. You know, you got to do as much as you can when you, when you got it going on, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Trade secret. Ken also surrounds himself with dogs, which certainly helps with that. Yes. Too. <laughs> There's also probably a bit of cocaine thrown in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> or, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, listeners. <laughs> so actually, while we record this, to- uh, Todd is sniffing a line of coke on his <laughs> microphone. Kind of weird. <laughs> now, uh, obviously, it's a tribute anthology. We've established that it's a, a tribute anthology for Frank Michael Zarenton. However, I still wrote this down. And I think this could go in a different direction than I'm thinking. So what is this charity about? Well, uh, as Todd said, Frank needed a uh, he needed a new kidney. So I mean, he, he never got it. I, I, I'm going to interject there, Ken. I mean, it wasn't just that he never got it. it there was just this long road of yeah. anguish watching him over several period of years, like basically beg for a donor online. And oh there God. was one one point where he actually had. Mm. He had a transplant. He went to the hospital expecting to leave with a new kidney, and they botched the handling of the organ. So it was no good. He just needed he needed that, and um, you know it was like like Todd said it was just a you know he would get a port and the port didn't work out, so he got another port, and you know he would just tell us all these things that was going on every meeting. There was just something going on with it, and uh, you know it was a bit, a bit heartbreaking to watch. And uh, so we needed a charity and we found the American Transplant Foundation. And, and that seems to to fit the bill pretty, pretty well. So every every cent goes towards that charity. Yes. Everyone. Yeah, that's amazing. So for whoever's listening to this, if that's not a good enough reason, then I don't know what is. That's pretty awesome. Um, and Amazon even has the paperback on sale right now, too. They they knocked a dollar or 50 off or something like that already. <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about that, because before we start recording, uh, it seemed like you had an interesting story as to why the release date was a little uh, in the air. <laughs> so you know, there, there's this guy out there, um, he used to publish under Stephen King, and it caused a whole lot of problems because, you know, same name as Stephen King. I don't know if it's his real name. Uh, I've heard claims that, it, that it, it is his real name. Anyway, they made him add uh, a, a middle initial to differentiate, differentiate between the two. And um, uh, for some reason, they thought that's the guy we were publishing. And Amazon was just like, nope, nope. You know, we sent him the contract from Penguin, you know, with Stephen King's name on it and the story and, and, uh, and the book that it's from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were just like, nope, nope. You're trying to deceive the writers. And we're like, what are you going to do? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it took. You know, just so many conversations and phone calls and, and emails. And finally, they released the paperback, but they still leave the, the digital on hold. On hold. And we're like, what's going on here? 
And, you know, uh, you know, because obviously if you release the paperback, the, the ebook should be no problem. But they just literally just released the the ebook right before we started recording this. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, just just to be super clear, is it that guy Stephen R. King? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't used to be though. He used to be Stephen King, and there used to be yeah, two boy. other guys that published under Stephen the name Stephen King. Uh, and, uh, I wonder if it worked. I'm sure. I, I'm sure they sold a book or two under false pretenses. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. Amazon is so sick of dealing with returns and stuff based on that guy or those guys that that's, you know, unfortunately it bit you in the ass. But um, I'm sure they got more than one or two complaints about that in the past. You know, like, uh, you send them the contract and they just would like completely ignore it. And they'd be like, we'd be like, you asked for it, but you didn't even read it. <laughs> that's weird. Uh, it was crazy. worth it getting Stephen King's story in the book, though. Yeah. Uh, I will say that because Frank, that was a favorite story that Frank liked to talk about. Is he got to interview King uh, when Frank was he was a radio DJ for uh, a long, long period of time. I guess back in the eighties or early nineties, and uh, he loved to talk about interviewing King during one of his publicity tours. So. Uh, it was Tom Deedy actually who helped us yeah. get that make that happen. So shout out to my my boy Tom. Oh nice. I love you, Tom. I miss you. <laughs> another another really nice guy in the job. Yeah. You know, uh, that's fantastic. Although you know, don't don't call Tom Deedy the nicest guy in horror. He'll get very upset and maybe punch <laughs> you. Sounds like a conflicted message. <laughs> So. No, it's just a little little joke between he and uh, Tony Tremblay. They they basically share the title of nicest guy in horror. Oh, <laughs> okay. I'll make sure to call both of them that, and uh, hopefully they're in the same room. Then we'll have a fight. Uh, so on the table of contents, there are a few authors. Uh, now it makes sense why Stephen King's not on the first of that list. But I got uh, to name a few: Stephen King, Stephen R. King, Richard Shizmar. Alan Baxter, Mercedes M. Yardley, Christopher Golden, Dong G. Gambepko, Stephanie M. Widovich, and so many more. Um, the list I read is just like all the, you know, it's like the A team. So it's pretty awesome that they came together for this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, Tom Deedy, uh, you know, give him credit for the Stephen King, but also for a lot of, you know, Richard Chismar and Josh Mailerman and. And uh, Paul Tremblay, and uh, I mean, there's just so many. Uh, um, Lee Murray, he, he helped get a lot of those at the end. I mean, writers who had contacted me already and said that they were going to send something in, yeah. you know, get this long window, and maybe they forgot it or got wrapped up in other work. And and you know, Tom kind of tracked it down and was like, "Hey guys, you know, let's let's get something over there real quick." And uh, it just started coming in at the end there. <laughs> so uh, lots of credit for him, like with like. 10 names on that list. Isn't that how it usually goes? Cause that's what I hear from my editor friends that, uh, <laughs> you'll get a huge wave of submissions right before the close, uh, the, the window closes. <laughs> and, and all of them were like, so, I mean, uh, you know, cause we were kind of, some of those were kind of tight, tight windows there. And, um, you know, trying to get the contract signed and trying to get edits and, and then through the proofreaders is just a lot of work in a small window of time. And they were just, you know, as busy as, you know, like Josh Millerman, for instance, you know, um, writing the, the 
he was at the time he's writing Mallory, I assume, or some other book and working on some movie project and trying to deal with me at the same time. You know what I mean? I think he's got something like, I've heard he's got like something like 16 projects he's working on right now. And writing Mallory was probably the easier of those two. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't sleep either. No. He, he so, wrote like a novel since the time we started this call. <laughs> so steering away from the charity anthology real quick, um, Gabino Iglesias's uh, call for, uh, what is it, for the Hellmark. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, two-week period. He already had 150 submissions within, like, the first week, I think it was. Does that give either one of you anxiety for that well, guy? considering uh, I was working on my submission literally right before we jo- joined this call, and that's what I'm going to be doing after the call's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a source of anxiety, knowing that... Uh, you know, literally everybody and their grandmother is sending Gabino a story by Monday. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's that's part of the game, man. I mean, you do your best work and you throw it out there into the world and see what happens. I mean, you know, maybe it's a good fit. Maybe it's not. You know, for me, I used to get a lot of anxiety about that. But um, I don't know what it was. Just over the years, I've gotten better at, uh, at handling the submissions and not worrying about them so much. And, you know, you get a rejection, you get a rejection. And if you get shortlisted, I mean, I think when you get shortlisted, that's what makes it even, even, uh, more stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote, um, a f- I wrote two stories for that. Both trashed them. One was 400 words. The other was 1700. I'm like, I'm not sending a Vino with something that's just pure shit. So I, you know, hats off to everyone. That's, I finished Send my draft something. this morning. My first yeah. of mine, yeah. Good luck, man. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I just hit 2,100 words right before the call, so I'm, I'm shooting for 3,000. That's where I'm at. So That's like that's like the sweet spot, I would imagine. Uh, Brennan, that's what you I'm saying about that you one. You don't get into uh, these anthologies. Not, you know, I can tell you from experience, like, like for instance, when I did Tales from Lake 5, there were so many good stories sent to that and so many – I mean, I could have easily put together, you know, two, three volumes of excellent stories. It's just sometimes you, you're, you know, the, as the editor, you're looking for a, a certain thread, you know, through the stories, you know. So it doesn't necessarily mean when you get a rejection, doesn't mean that your story is bad. Right. It just doesn't fit, you know. Right. And, uh, so that's what I guess that, that's when actually my stress for the, over that kind of went away is that first time seeing that and seeing that, like, you know, people will send in one theme, you know, like uh, – you know, a trailer park guy gets attacked by a vampire, and you'll get like 20 stories of that. You know, certainly, you can't you, you can't publish 20 stories with all the same theme, all the same story. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's how it goes. I mean, a lot of people write the same, not the same story, but the similar story, and it's really you know you can't publish them all. Right. Um, There's just so many good writers out there. It's like you you know that. Not every anthology can be 200,000 words and, you know, bordering on 600 pages. So you just you you can't. And I'm going to give advice that I personally don't take myself, but you just can't take it personally. You just can't, you know, beat yourself up about it. I'll learn to take that eventually, though. I I think the best the best remedy for that. And this is again, this is also me speaking personally. This is what I found. Well, alcohol, of course, but I don't drink anymore. So uh, it, I think the best the best remedy for it is to forget you sent it in. 
uh, immediately <laughs> something else and forget sure. forget you sent it in so that when you finally when that rejection comes through, you're not married to the story anymore. So it's just going to be like, huh, I forgot all about that. Whatever. <laughs> I just got a uh, four and a half year rejection for a story I completely forgot about. I wrote for this <laughs> anthology like years ago. And, uh, you know, I think after like a year I, I had queried and I was like, you know, hey, you know what's going on? And, uh, you know, no response. So I just completely wrote it off. And all of a sudden I get this email just like a week ago. And he's like, uh, hey, you might might be surprised with this, but we're still going through with the book. Unfortunately, you're not going to be in it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks. But I mean, you know, kind words. So, I mean, you know, you know, thanks for the kind words. And I'm not going to name him, shame him. Obviously, I'm not about that. Um, um, but you know, it, stuff like that happens. You know, I mean, the, the thing about rejections is um, you can learn from them, and you can learn how to how to get better. It's part of a process of becoming a better writer. Um, it hurts sometimes. Some of them sting. Like my very first rejection. Um, I won't name the publisher because they're still around under a different name, but the editor told me, you suck. You should never write anything again ever. And that was the rejection. I mean, imagine wow. listening to her and, uh, and just quit, you know, and how discouraging is that? You know what I mean? And what kind of editor does that? I mean, it's, yeah, that's kind of a shitty thing to say. But at the any, same time, any writer at the same time, it kind of helped me build that thick skin very early on. Um, you know, I got rejected for a story early on. Uh, I wrote a story about an underground uh, um, coal fire, and they told me it was unrealistic. And, oh, uh, Centralia, hello. <laughs> they told me it was unrealistic. I was like, uh, Centralia? And they were they were located really close to Centralia, <laughs> which was like blew my mind. But, you know, it's just the way it works. But if you if you uh, once you start getting into, you know, past those rejections and working with editor, you know, real editors that like um, – just aren't, aren't um, going to insult you and are looking to build you up. You know what I mean? Uh, they don't want to hurt people's feelings. I mean, I didn't want, certainly when I reject people, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and discourage them from writing. I want to encourage them to write a better story. And once you start getting into that, you start learning something and growing as a writer. Yeah. I would certainly imagine that you once you get that, you suck and you should give up forever. The next rejection probably does not cut as deep. No, no, not at all. <laughs> It, no. it it becomes a game of, you know, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to succeed, you know, just to spite you. <laughs> oh, that's definitely a good attitude to have there, uh, Ken. The yeah. uh, positive one, not the, the one that Ken said. Ken's a- <laughs> yeah. You know, that's just, I mean, I think that's what we got to do as a community is, uh, you know, I see a lot of this. You know, people cutting each other down and trying to tear each other apart, you know, and everybody makes mistakes. I mean, I'll be honest, if everybody was perfect, it would be a boring world. And uh, we should be lifting each other up um, instead of cutting each other down all the time. Mm. You know, just, you know, there's an old saying, if you haven't got anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens between authors, reviewers and pretty much anyone. That's, you know, it's insane. And there's nothing, uh, you know, with a bad review. I mean, like like Todd said, I mean, uh, bad reviews, it's, it, it legitimizes your work in a way. You know, not your work's not going to sit right with every single reader. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I won't name her or the book, but I, I 
this year, I think it was, or last year, I can't remember. Uh, this lady wrote a book and uh, was bragging about how one of her chapters is 150 pages and uh, <laughs> all the critical, uh, constructive criticism she got, she there was no rock bottom. It kept getting worse. It was a train wreck fighting everybody. And uh, it was a good lesson for, you know, newer authors to not do that ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt really uh, personally attacked when I started out, too. Like, they don't like my book. Oh, I'm not, you know, using the best words I can use because I'm fucking new. But say something nice. Like, it, it's it's weird. And I agree, Todd. That does become a fuck you'll do what I want mentality. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you also have to look at it like this. Like, you, you know... This is something I've kind of taken on in recent months, especially with the the negative reviews of Devil's Creek, for example. It's like, well, you know, then it wasn't for them. No. You know, it's not. They're allowed not to like it. And there are plenty of books out there that I don't care for that everybody loves. Mm. Um, You know, it's just they weren't part of the audience. So. You know, yeah, it sucks. They're gonna leave like a one or two star review because they found it too scary or too gory or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, again, they weren't part of the audience. Right. So now I need to go and find more of the audience who would enjoy it. Devil's Creek, and I'm not saying this because you're on, but Devil's Creek is in my top ten easily, dude. It's so it's so good. Thank it's you. Such a good book. Personally, I, I apologize for the one-star review, but in my defense, it was too scary. <laughs> uh, you know, I... I book like this thick? Wait till you read Tim Myers. Uh, I can't <laughs> wait. I cannot wait. In my horror novel, I mean, really. Oh, but, um, word count with these guys. <laughs> Tim's got me beat when it comes to the word count, guys. Can we, can we know anything about Tim Myers' upcoming book, like title... Word count, like any? Summer. It's uh, it's long. I won't say how long because that may change it, but uh, it's long. Uh, <laughs> it's longer. It's, I will say that it's longer than the first draft of Devil's Creek. And that was what 170,000 words. I think you uh, said it was a little bit more than that. Yeah. Jesus, man. Yeah. They're both awesome books. I mean, oh yeah. Awesome books. Well, I can't wait for that. Uh, me and Brennan, as soon as we saw the. Information be posted by uh, Ken McKinley in, you know, that fun tease way. Uh, we were both like, all right, well, this is like the book to read next year. <laughs> See, and that's you know, the cool thing about Silver Shamrock. Like, it sounds like I'm promoting them. And especially it really does. It, it doesn't sound good considering that me and Brennan are going to be on a, pod, a new podcast with them next year. But, like, oh. I, I, I was a fan first of the publisher, you know, for a reason. They're fucking good at what they do. I want to jump in real quick here. Brennan, congratulations, by the way. Yeah, congratulations, man. Oh, thank you, both of you. I, I appreciate that. Let me get ready for you now. Welcome to the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, work the hell out of it, man. <laughs> Welcome to the family. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to having a publisher. I respect the living hell out of um, put, out, put out my first book. And, you know, I... I know that um, I know that having Ken edit it is only going to make a story that I'm. <laughs> I love the story. Now I want to just make it good enough that everybody else will love it too. <laughs> yeah. And I know having Ken on board is going to help me with that. Uh, Ken Ken's really thorough, and he's going to make you pull your hair out. 
then people won't be able to tell the difference between me Love and Pat. Love Ken. <laughs> <laughs> All you white bald guys look alike, Brennan. <laughs> no, one thing I'll, I'll say about uh, Ken McKinley is he just loves he loves the, the genre. He loves putting out good books. Yeah. And he's passionate about it. And that I think that's something that you can you know you can tell the good press publishers when they when they have that kind of backing like that. And there's there's a lot of them that are like that. You know, they're just really passionate about it. They want the best of everything. You know, they want it to be special. They don't want it to be just okay. You know, hey, I'm not going to edit it. I'm just going to slap a cover on it. Any old cover that I make myself and publish it, they want it, you know, edited. They want as few mistakes as possible. They want a, you know, a incredible cover. I mean, and, you know, Ken's putting out, you know, money for a Keelan Patrick Burke, Burke uh, cover. And, you know, Keelan does awesome work. And yeah, I, that's he, what he wants. He wants quality work. I agree. To add to Keelan, um, the comment about him is there should really end up being a book on his covers alone one day, man. They're just, they're so fucking good. Uh, the just heard, uh, Bob Vion, I should mention him because Bob does all the interior artwork now. That's a really, really nice in pentagram. He did the illustrations in that. Did, um, so we're talking just real quick to ask one question that I probably should have known already, but, there's a lot of covers that I love. I think Keelan does all the ones for Silver Shamrock, right? Now uh, most. he does most, not all. I, I think we had uh, one by um, um, uh, what's his name, Clark. His last name's Clark. Clark. Uh, I did the cover for Devil's Creek. Yeah, oh, yeah. Your wife took that photo, right? Uh, and an illustration by uh, Chapman, right? Greg yeah, uh, Greg Chapman did the painting. And I did the design. Uh, my wife took a photo of the, the Devil's Creek sign that's on the inside and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I I pulled the design duty on Devil's Creek. And uh, and I did the design work on uh, Cricket Hunters. Oh, for Jeremy uh, Helper. Yeah. But Clark did the. Uh, his last name's Clark. I forget his first name. I'm, I'm sorry because there's just a lot of names going through my head right now. But his last name's Clark. He did the illustration for the cover. Oh, okay. Ron Kelly's book too. Um, Alex Ron Kelly was somebody else. Alex uh, McVeigh. Yes. Yeah. And that one was uh, just uh, mostly just me recreating stuff. So it was already kind of put together. So yeah, that's Alex McVeigh and uh, and another artist. I forget their, his name, but they're credited on the inside of, of that one. Oh, Zach, very Zach, cool. Zach McCann, right? Yeah, Zach McCann. Yeah. Yep. Very cool looking illustrations on that book too. So just one thing I wanted to touch on uh, for Silver Shamrock was the thing that I found neat and I still find neat is the covers themselves. I love them. Every book is judged by their cover. I mean, it's bullshit to say otherwise because you you look, you go in a bookstore. If you don't know the author, you see a cover you like. I don't know about you guys, but that's literally how I found a lot of books that I really like. Um, There's one that and I'm not going into the store itself, but uh, the cover itself I've, I don't see too many people nowadays doing covers that would resemble a book or a movie from the 60s, specifically the the body that follows, I think, by mm-hmm. Robbie Bully. As soon as Ken showed me that, I was like, I think this is pretty fucking cool because it's got the text on it about how it's like pervasive. Uh, perva- what is it? I was going to say pervasive. That's not the right word. Provocative? Yeah, provocative. Perverse. Perverse. Whatever the whatever yeah. the the actual text. I should have got the book before I started this. 
I just think that's kind of neat because when I told him, it reminds me of something I'd seen a 60s or 70s uh, book or film that's dead on accurate. Uh, he pretty much echoed, and um, he does that with a lot of the better 90s covers, some from the right. 70s and 80s. I think that Ken is someone that in his company with you guys, especially someone where you can be like, oh, I can start learning about why it was so great a few decades ago. And it's just I think it's uh, helpful to newer guys like me and Brennan. He's so, big on the 80s look. I know that um, when we when we first started, he, he was uh, we were talking about who to get to do covers. Right. And uh, he was so big on that 80s look. And, uh, you know, he had just read uh, paper books. Paperbacks from Hell, mm. and uh, was just hooked on that book and that vibe, and you know for good reason. I mean, but you look at like books like uh, like Keelan did uh, Five Turns of the Wheel, which is like one of one of my favorite covers by him. Yeah, it's just really amazing good. looking. It doesn't have that '80s feel at all to me. It, it's more yeah. of a you know late '90s feel, and and just it's beautiful. You know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Bern- Sorry, go ahead, Todd. Uh, I was gonna say, I'm just gonna add, Keelan's work is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I got mad respect for his skills. Uh, all you, Brian. Oh, okay. Um, that we went off on on quite a tangent there. I actually want to take us back to uh, one of us, if that's okay with everybody. Of course. Um, yep. So when you were hauling in contributions, I wondered, did you make uh, any kind of conscious effort to? Uh, get a pretty good balance of stories, anecdotes, and poems, or did you kind of just throw it to everybody and say, do what you want and I'll make it work? Um, it, was, it was more the latter. I mean, uh, obviously there were some stories that didn't have um, the right the right feel for the, for the genre that I was looking for, and those stories didn't work. Um, and then, you know, I, I would put it to the authors. I'd be like, hey, if you want to send something else in, go ahead. And, you know, kind of trying to describe what I was looking for a little bit more. Um, but it, it, it got down to like a lot where, you know, with original stories, you know, you, you know, with a reprint, it's a whole different game. You know, uh, I'm going light on edits for reprints because you, you don't want to you know, insult anyone, but you also don't want any mistakes. But with the original stories, you know, sometimes you'd get one that would have like just this, this great idea that was almost there. You know, and so it was just a lot of back and forth for, for those kind of stories, trying to make them work. Um, I didn't I didn't want to. I mean, you know, it's a charity anthology for somebody that we all love. And I didn't want to just outright, you know, reject people if I, if I could avoid it. <laughs> you know, what I mean, uh, I wanted to try to include everybody. And, and that was one of the things that Pete was really big on. He's like, I want to include everyone. And I was like, well, let's not get crazy here. Not everyone. <laughs> But that was what was great about it, though. And, and they, you know, they a lot of them I'd, I'd worked with before in other projects, and they had an idea for how I worked and, and uh, what I looked for. And so a lot of them were just really easy to work with because of that alone. You know, I had worked with, you know, several of them that were in Midnight in the Pentagram or Midnight in the Graveyard were also in this. Like Todd, you know, I'd worked with him with Devil's Creek at that point, and I was worked with him in uh, Midnight in the Graveyard. So he knew what I was like and he knew what I was looking for and, and he knew what would, you know, how we'd work together. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great, you know, just having that ability for people to, you know, uh, I had this, you can ask Todd, the first time you work with me, you get this huge long email. Uh-huh. 
and it's grown over the, the time. Every single time. <laughs> you know, like people are starting to get used to working with me, so I don't have to do that so often. Yeah. So it's nice, you know, and they, and they know what to expect, and they know what I'm big on, you know. Like I'm a big Oxford comma guy, so I'm like big on that, you know, and I'm always going to flag that, you know. They know those things, and so they'll work on, you know, fixing those things so that I don't have to flag them, which is great. Got it. So anybody who is uh, submitting to Midnight Beyond the Stars, use those Oxford commas. Yes. Perfect. Make Ken's life a little easier. Or don't. I don't know. Do you. <laughs> Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> those are pretty good lyrics from a pretty good classic band from yeah, the, the 90s. The thing about editing is it's a lot like writing, but in a different way. Like when you, when you're writing... You're, it's a constant process of learning and building and becoming better, writing a better story. But editing is the same way in a different way. It's so much easier to pick apart somebody else's story than it is to pick apart your own. You know, I could I could pick apart any other, anybody else's story, but when it comes to your own, it's so much harder to kill your darlings, like Stephen King said. <laughs> you know? And uh, you know, because you're holding on to those words, you're like, that's great. I'm not going to get rid of it. And uh, you know, it, it just takes those passes before you go. Yeah, you know, that doesn't fit. Like you guys know, you read from Death Reborn, and if you read it again, you'll realize it's a completely different story after your beta read. Oh, nice! And that's great, and I appreciate. Uh, I just want to. I appreciate that from both of you, honestly. Oh yeah, great, yeah, great, helpful advice. But I can't wait to see what you do with it. It was. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna put this out there, man. I was like, I didn't hold back, man. I just like I treated it like any other beta read. But I told Ken, I'm like, I want to work with you guys eventually. So I don't know, Ken. <laughs> Kane well enough to say he uh he might get mad, but clearly that's thank God not the case. No, I, I tell you what, I went to Borderlands boot camp and uh, you can't you cannot walk through those doors with a thin skin. Mm. Um, I had Tom Montalion look at me and tell me my story sucked right to my face. Oh jeez, <laughs> you've got to be able to take that criticism yep. and 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 say you know he's not doing it to hurt my feelings. He wants me to write a better story. And that's all it's about, you know, it's, and I'm not, I'm, you know, obviously I'm not like that as an editor. Uh, anybody who's worked with me knows that I, I'm not going to get in your face and say, your story sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make it better. And that's all it's about, you know, and um, yeah. that's it. <laughs> but it's a totally different path. I mean, they're both similar, but they go out outward, you know. That yeah. reminds me of something that my, uh, in one of my instructors in college, my first creative writing uh, instructor I ever had that was like one of the first classes he said you know we're he's outlining kind of like what the process is and how we do group critique and everything and you know like it's okay to say that you think a story sucks but you have to be prepared to advise on how to improve it before you say it sucks yeah, like you need to ha- be able to give constructive feedback, you know, on something. You know, how do you think this could be improved so that it doesn't suck? You know, right. Um, and that's something I think a a lot. You know, some folks who are just starting out really miss. It's like they everything. You know, you take everything to heart, and you really can't. Uh, you know, most folks who are, especially in the business, who are openly critical are doing so i would like to believe for the purpose of making the work better 
Yeah. You can tell when you're editing those people too. Like you can tell when you're editing somebody who's never been rejected at all versus somebody who's been rejected a lot. You know? Yeah. For instance, Josh Miller, when you tell him, you know, I don't like this, this doesn't work. He's like, okay, done. You know, just no, no complaint, no nothing, just business, you know, all work. Mm-hmm. And then you get somebody who's newer and they'll, they'll give you, you know, they'll fight back against you and they'll, you know, it'll be something that's obvious sometimes, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, like, for instance, like uh, how like, uh, you know, a simple device works that, you know, maybe I have a lot of insight to it because I have that in my life. Mm. And so I know how it works and I know how it doesn't work. And so when you get, you know, uh, blowback on that, you're like, you know, come on, dude, come on. <laughs> because it's just like, you know, why would I mention it if I'm, you know, my goal, I've already been paid. Right. My goal, my goal is to make the story work, not to tear you down as a person. You know, whether or not your story is successful has no bearing on whether or not I get paid at all. So the only thing I have to gain by this at this point is to make the story as, as good as I can. You know, that's it. That's the joy of it. You know, it's an exciting. Sounds like Frank, going back to him, was kind of. I mean, you both said it. That's what he did. He wanted to make everyone better. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious. We've talked for a little over an hour. Uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about him as a person or reviewer or whatnot that you'd like people to know about that we haven't mentioned yet for either <laughs> one of you? Uh, just a little anecdote. He, uh, he basically mooned all of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> this requires some context but yeah that's what he did um he slipped and fell down the stairs yeah like you know his, his ass caught every step and his wife took a photo of his backside and he posted that right on facebook oh man that's and great. it's still there you can go find it <laughs> I felt something to her shortly after that. I was talking to Heather about it. I was like, should I do that same kind of photo? You know, I, no. you know for like for about 30 seconds, I considered putting that in the book. <laughs> but I didn't think his wife would appreciate that. Oh, so. That was a funny, that was a funny one. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I was worried about him falling down these stairs. Cause you know, I fell down, I've fallen down these stairs like three times. And, and Frank would come down and I'd be like, be careful, Frank, you know, use the railing <laughs> because I saw that picture and I did not want him falling, man. That's great. <laughs> so I'm looking through his photos real quick now and off the top of my, off the top of my head, who I see is Laird Barron, Tony Tremblay, I uh, got Mercedes, M. Yardley, Joe Hill, Jim, uh, Jim Moore. Mm-hmm. I don't recognize everyone there, but it's like all the people that all the people that are, you know, quote unquote, made it in the indie scene. I don't know how else, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, he kind of seems like he was the guy to know the guide, if you will. Yeah. 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 You know, it wasn't so much that you had to know him. It was that he wanted he had to know you. Mm. Yeah. And that's just I mean, he, he would get to know anyone. And I think that's something we can all learn from when, you, when you're at a con and you see somebody just standing off on their own, like Tom Didi did to me at a uh, borderlands bootcamp. You know, I, I was, uh, I had a bad sinus infection. I was off on my own a lot. Cause I don't, you know, I'm a little nervous of a guy 
And Tom came and talked to me, you know, just that kind of person, you know, strive to be that kind of person that when you see somebody alone, go, go talk to them. It's kind of like at lunch school when you're a kid, see that one kid at lunch, uh, whether it's you or someone else, you, everyone wants a friend. Yeah, Who doesn't? Exactly. I mean, or just somebody to talk to for a little while. And, uh, there's no, there's no reason to be like this. You know, you see this, uh, these posts sometimes about competing in the genre. There's no competition. I mean, it's silly. You know, yeah, if somebody makes an anthology and I don't, I'm happy for them because they, they worked harder than I did at it. I got to work harder next time. You know, and that's, that's what it's about. It's not about, it's, you know, it's not about, uh, you know, they're, they're better than me or I'm better than them or anything like that. It's just about, working hard at your craft and trying to write the best story possible. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I agree to piggyback on that. And this is just my opinion. Anyone that views it as a competition, they don't understand it. And they're, they just aren't one of us. And that, that's my strong opinion. I don't speak for you guys, but uh, I, I don't know. I think it should be a big, happy family. It's not because you get a large group enough, enough people in it. There's going to be a little bullshit. Tips. Yeah. There's always going to be the clash of egos that happens in any group. But yeah, listen, if it was easy, we'd all be bestseller, New York Times bestsellers. We'd all be that. Yeah, that'd be boring. That would be so freaking boring if we were all that. It would make it not special. We'd all be Stoker winners. And what what good would the Stoker award be if we just gave it out like candy? Right. I, mean, I don't know. I, I, whenever I see someone that's posting it, like okay, most recently. Uh, Sean A. Cosby, I reached out to him, I messaged him, I just said, look, dude, all the, all your achievements, like, they're inspiring. Some yeah. would probably view that as kissing ass or something. I don't. Um, and I lo- I've, I think it was Keen, yeah, it was Keen that was talking about how, um, basically, I think Joe, Joe R. Lansdale told him about the thing about how it's not kissing ass if you're just telling, you know, the person that you actually generally look up to, um. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. I mean, who doesn't want to hear that? And it's, uh, I don't know. I think that you guys have a good message, and it should be, should be infectious. I hope it is when people hear this. Um, Brennan, you got anything else on this subject, or, uh, or shall I take over? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you guys on the spot real quick. Although, do feel free to say, you know, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, or I can't pick my favorite child, or whatever. But are there any? Uh, poems anecdotes or stories in this collection that you can pick out that really to you from your perspective captured frank's spirit so uh i don't know that todd's read all the stories i haven't sorry guys for me uh there's a few stories i mean and and they're gonna be your lead stories and your and your uh your you know your end stories so um, let me look through the list and find – I don't want to say anyone's name wrong. <laughs> but McNee wrote a story that I thought was uh, – I think that's how you – McNay, McNee. Who's that? Um, I'm trying to find his name in the list so I can see. John McNee? John McNee, yeah. He wrote a story that is about uh, a review. And uh, it, was, it was just really clever. Um, you know, because it kind of hit upon Frank's job. Mm. And I liked it a lot. And Jeff Strand wrote one that was more of a comical approach. Like uh, I think the opening, one of the early on lines, or maybe even the opening line was, there it was, Frank Michaels Arrington's going to review my book. And it was comical. <laughs> and, I, and I liked that, you know? Was, yeah, that was pretty funny. 
But the um, story that really hit for me, um, and, and this is just my personal taste. There was there was others like uh, Summer and, and Jackie had stories that they loved more than me. And uh, when I was looking for the order, you know, I definitely took in their input. But uh, Paul Paul F. Olson's You Can't Eat Just One, I love that story. And I just felt like it encapsulated everything about Frank and everything that he would like to see. It's it's a um, it's a it's a romance of the genre, I mm. think. And I and I love that. And it's such an incredible story. And when you read it, you're gonna love it too. It's just one of those stories. I'm just sure everybody's gonna love it. And they they like Matt Bechtel's story, um, Summer and, and Jackie. And I love the two. Matt Bechtel's story is uh, it's a it's a reprint, but you're gonna love that one too. I mean, you know, the thing about this is, is that there's so many good stories in this. And uh, it's one of the things that I talked to. Uh, and you can ask Todd and Pete both constantly along the way. I'm like, guys, there's so many good stories in this book. You're going to love these stories. There's so many good stories and poems and poems, too. And uh, it's just so incredible the effort that these writers put in. Um, there's literally something for everyone, but I am I'm, I am just saying that these stories are incredible. And then these these writers went out of their way and worked really hard with me to get the, the stories to be the best they could be. Mm. You know, there is one I'm going to shout out. It's a poem by Shane Douglas Keene called Subliminal. Mm. That one. Uh, that one really spoke to me. And made really makes me think of Frank. And, and so. Shane wasn't reviewed by Frank previously, so uh, Todd had contacted me and was like, "Hey, you should take a look at this poem." And uh, <clears throat> if you know Shane, and uh, you know, uh, I don't know Shane well, but I listen to his podcast all the time, and he beats himself up constantly. And he's such a great poet. Yeah, he just needs to accept that. Yeah. He just needs to stop being negative and focus on the positive and, and just realize that he's, he is good at his, at what he does. Just enjoy it. You know, um, Moore Castle told me once, um, and if you, if you don't know Moore Castle, you should, you should know him. He's an incredible writer. He said, you know, you can have all the awards and all the praise and all the great five-star reviews you want, but it doesn't mean anything unless you love what you're doing. And that's all that really matters. Wait, you're talking about Mark Cassell of Shadow. He wrote no, Shadow no. Fabric. No. He's a, he's a little older and uh, he blurbed one of my early on collections and uh, he's just a, if you haven't, if you haven't read him, go check him out. <laughs> it was Mort, what? Mort Castle. Oh, Mort's. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Clearly I have a hearing problem because that's how you said Mark Castle. And that's how uh, it's a mispronunciation of his surname, but we're not talking about him. So he's, just, he's, a, he's one of those guys, uh, you know, early on in my career, um, him and Gene O'Neill and uh, Billy Sue Bozeman, they, they kind of all took me under their wing and offered me advice. And, uh, and that's what it should be. You know, take people under your wing, offer advice. Don't don't tear people down and, and don't like, you know, if you, if you haven't got anything good to say about them, just don't say anything at all. Just try to help people. There's no reason that we all can't be successful at this to different levels and everything to our own ability. And uh, they taught me that early on. And that, that's what I'm going to push forward doing the same. You know, that's what I'm all about. And because of them. So I owe them all the credit in the world. For three. 
I absolutely feel that from both of you, actually. Um, you both have been very kind to me personally uh, before I even really was known by anyone. And I was in here <laughs> in the writing community for like six years, and uh, I didn't really know too many people. But you both have been always very kind. And uh, to add to that, Joe Meinhart, uh, he's always been very kind to me and everyone that I'm aware of. Yeah, Joe is uh, very inspired with that as well. I mean, uh, just oh, I've, I've known him for a lot longer than Chris. Like I knew him back to the days of of uh, forums. <laughs> <laughs> so long, long time ago, you know, back back when we uh, didn't have Facebook, we had MySpace. But um, what's a MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> a failure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Tom's, know. MySpace Tom's like cruising the South Pacific I on a private say, yacht. That, so. that dude's a photographer now. <laughs> yeah. Tried to get him on the show too. Did not reply to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. We all start out somewhere. We all we all have our, our uh, bumps and bruises. Yeah. You know, I've I started. I self-publish a lot, and uh, you know my bumps and bruises were out there for everyone to see. You know, I didn't hide them. But my uh, all along, I said from the start that I just wanted to get better at this. And I think that that's all anyone wants to do. Nobody. I mean, don't yeah. get complacent. Don't get complacent with your writing. Challenge yourself. Try to write something better. You know, that's that's all it's about. Mm. I mean, Stephen King didn't sit there and go, oh, I wrote Carrie. You know, I'm just going to write, you know, 20,000 more books just like Carrie. Exactly the same. Exactly the same writing skill and never get any better at all. I'm just going to cash in. No, he he obviously wanted to grow as a writer and change and and evolve. And that's what makes writing exciting is that we do evolve and we try to write different stories and things that are unique. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they say, you know, uh, John Dixon once told me, uh, if you don't know John Dixon, excellent writer. He said, you know, people make fun of the Twilight books all the time. He goes, but they were successful. They hit their target. They hit their market. Did exactly what they're supposed to do. And I can tell you for a fact, they hit with my daughter and it, and it uh, bridged the gap to whore. And that's mm-hmm. what they should do. You know, so, you know, kudos, kudos to those books. You know what I mean? Um, so why, why tear them down? You know, why? I mean, what's the point? What, what, what good is tearing that down? And I've joked about it, obviously. But, you know, people say you can't you can't write a book about a sparkly vampire. Well, damn you. I'm going to write a good sparkly vampire book. That blows it out of the water because that's a goal. That's a goal now. You know, you want to you want to write something different that just surprises people and shocks them. And, and, and you know, that's those are the stories that make a difference. All like right. I'm, I'm listening to uh, The Cypher now by Kathy Koja. Oh, that book, man. Oh, man, oh. A fucking fun. Hole. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're allowed to curse on this. I've been cursing all night. Too man. late now. <laughs> uh, actually, we don't oh, allow fucking it. cursing, Kenneth. It. God damn it, Kenneth! What the fuck? It's so awesome. Like, uh, I mean, just such a great and, and the way it, it opens is just right in action. Yeah, mm-hmm. right there, right from it's the It's very clear why that book won so many awards. Yeah, and so, uh, that's a that's a heavy book. And the, and the narration on it is incredible. So if you haven't if you read the book, get the audio book because you're gonna love it. The cipher is actually one that I wanted to uh, read next year. Um, Kathy expressed interest in being on here, and uh, awesome, uh, yeah, and because I made a post that I didn't think most people replied to, and Kathy fucking Coach replied. And I'm like, 
can you awesome. DM, can you DM me? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> we want you on next year. <laughs> so the cipher was absolutely one. I haven't read it yet. Um, I just looked it up. The Twilight books have sold over more than a hundred million copies worldwide. So whether like a small fraction of people are shitting on it or not, well, guess what? Over a hundred million people love it. So yeah, like I mean, I'll admit, like if I was editing that, I would, I would take, I would. I would edit the hell out of it. Yeah. Right. But yeah, just, it, it wasn't meant for me. It was, right. it was the target audience. And it, um, it, I think it also stands as a perfect example of, you know, you can be the greatest writer in the world, but still be a shit storyteller. Stephanie <laughs> Meyer is not the greatest writer in the world or this universe, but she wrote a good story. Yeah. It's compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we leave the uh, conversation of why we're here tonight, one of us, uh, is there anything that you guys want people to know? Kind of a repetitious question of Frank or the anthology or anything that's I'm not even I haven't even asked yet that's related to this. I I, I think we've covered most of the bases. Okay. Here's the thing: a lot of people put their blood, sweat, and tears into this book. For yes. We wanted to pay tribute to a guy in the genre who cared about a lot of people in this genre. Go read it. Take a chance on it. Enjoy it. It goes to a good cause. Mm. Enjoy it and learn something. You know, take those stories. I I say this all the time. You know, there's good stories and there's bad stories. But you can learn something from the bad stories as much as you can the good stories. Learn from these stories. These are a lot of good stories. A lot. You're going to learn something. That's true. And uh, it's you guys are working with uh, someone that Todd's going to be working with or is currently working with for his upcoming trilogy uh, next year. Yeah. Uh, would you like to plug that away, sir? Uh, yeah, Ken actually read the first book and he was so happy when he learned it was only 53,000 words. Because, <laughs> <laughs> hey, would you mind learning this? I was like, uh, how, how long is it? Because <laughs> I, I, I was like, I was waiting for him to say 190,000 words. <laughs> That's like, well, in total or just this book? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, the, the Monochrome Trilogy gets released over the course of next year, starting in March with uh, A Life Transparent. Uh, book one, uh, book two, The Liminal Man, follows in June. And the final novel, Non-Entity, will see release in September 2021. Fantastic. And uh, is there anything that you guys are currently working on that will be released? Well, I guess it'd be just one more month for this year or next year. Uh, I think all my stuff that's, well, aside from the monochrome books, I mean, I've got a couple of, uh, I just sold uh, the audio rights to a story for Tales to Terrify, uh, the podcast that's coming out. Anytime between now and sometime next year. I, I don't know. I don't have a release date. Um, I also have another sale I can't talk about just yet. And yeah, a lot of stuff I in the works that I can't talk about because uh, contracts haven't been signed, but or projects haven't been announced yet. Uh, so yeah, Ken, what about you? Well, from Death Reborn coming out in February from Silver Shamrock. I can tell you about that, and uh, I can't tell you the publisher, but I have a novella coming out. I don't know when, but it's called Storm Shadows. It's uh, 
it actually features um, when when I was a kid and I moved to uh, suburbs of uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. I opened up an attic space uh, in the house when I first moved in, and there was a stuffed gorilla there. And uh, at night, I was sleeping one night, and that gorilla, I heard something moving across my floor, and that stuffed gorilla was standing in the middle of my floor. <laughs> so it's about that and, uh, and, and the shadow. And, Is that the uh, same stuffed gorilla that's standing behind you right now? That would freak me out. That'd be <laughs> pretty fucking creepy. As a kid, you know, I don't know what the hell was with that house, but that house, something was wrong with that house. But uh, I have um, short stories. I have uh, a heartbeat pygmy coming out um, with gutter books, and I, I think this year maybe. Heartbeat pygmy. Yeah, it's a it's a, a Pete Floyd uh, charity charity anthology. It's Is that the one that Fox Dunham put together? Yeah, nice. Coming through in waves, and I have a a very short piece coming out in Campfire Macabre. Hey, TFC buddy. Uh, <laughs> Eights Media. Are you in that? Yeah. Awesome. My first professional paid sale, and uh, I took my wife out and my son to eat uh, a meal, and I got a little buzz. So. <laughs> And I have problems. I, I think I said that word wrong again, Todd. I did that at our meeting. Cobb. <laughs> yeah, I keep saying that. <laughs> oh, God. It, it, it's pretty much like 30% of our HWA meetings is Ken getting corrected by everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's – I have some other things that I'm waiting to – oh, I, I don't know when this one's coming out. I have a – there's a uh, Joe Pulver – charity anthology coming out that I have a story in nice called uh, nightmares in yellow. I'm not sure when that's coming out, but, uh, you know, a lot of charity stuff this year, which is always good. You know, you got to get yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brian, do you want to lead away with anything else or the end question? Oh, I was just going to ask Ken if he wants to give us the elevator pitch for, uh, from, from death reborn. Oh yeah. Good call. So from death reborn, um, so remember when I mentioned that in 20, 2007, my boss said, uh, try to look busy, and I started writing? Yes. Yeah. Death Reborn. <laughs> That's when it started. Um, I had a 3,000-word story, and I had this friend, Brian Sell, a really good friend of mine, um, who edited it. And then I wrote it again, and it was 5,000 words, and I wrote it again, and it was 10,000 words. And uh, you know, this, the book is dedicated to Brian. Brian died a few years back. But um, that book is basically me exploring um, Clive Barker and uh, Drawing of the Three from Stephen King. It's kind of like that makes sense. Sort of kind of my insp- inspiration for that book. Um, nice. It has it has a religious theme, but uh, I don't think it's very strong of a religious theme. Um, it's more I call it a a dark superhero book. And if you've read the ending, you know what I mean by that. Uh, yeah, that whole, well, how it's inspired, that, that makes complete sense, especially <laughs> the Clyde part. I'm not going to obviously ruin any, anything about it, but like the imagery, all Clyde Barker, I see that. And then the, uh, the drawing of the three makes perfect sense now. Yeah. Um, Clyde Barker's The Damnation Game is like one of the first books I read by him. And I love that book. Mm. So you should be able to see that heavily, you know, the, especially the beginning of that book play out heavily in, uh, in one of the versions of hell. Right. That makes sense now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm trying to, um, 
you know, that book has been going on for so long and I never, and I, you know, it's one of those ones you plug away at and then you lose your line. And you're like, ah, I don't know where I'm going to go with it. I'm going to put it aside for a couple of years. And then you get back to it and then you put it aside and you get back to it. And then finally, you know, you just see the whole line and it makes sense. Mm. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, Ken liked it enough to take it. He's actually doing edits on it right now. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he comes up with. Yeah. It's exciting, man. Yeah. And you guys are going to be surprised when you read it. I, I mean, it took a lot of what you said to heart and, you know, it's one of those things, like 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 I said, when you're close to it, you don't always see the problem. But you know, uh, that always that, happens. <laughs> yeah. So when you when you get that feedback, it's it's really nice, and uh, and I appreciate it greatly. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Brennan, go ahead, sir. Yeah. Like I said, I was I, I'm psyched to um to read the final draft of that. I'll be I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be cool to see the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I decided to go more linear, so uh, I think that will make a lot more sense. Nice. <laughs> so, guys, you usually wrap up by asking people uh, what they are currently reading or or even if they want to say uh, what they've read recently that they'd like to kind of plug out for. Todd, let's throw it to you first. Uh, I just finished reading uh, Haley Piper's The Worm and His Kings last night. Nice. Oh, man. Uh, that was a great one. <laughs> that's a great piece of cosmic horror. Oh, I had, hell yeah. Uh, the last piece of cosmic horror to really wow me prior to this was uh, the Immaculate Void by Brian Hodge, and I would put the just the the world implications that Haley presents in this novella uh, right up there with Hodge. Uh, so definitely check that one out if you guys haven't already. Ken, how about you? Well, I told you about the cipher, and uh, and I love it. I'm also uh, uh, in um, listening to um, the Rust Maidens, which is a great book. Oh, I loved that book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still very early on, but the writing is uh, is incredible. I, no, um, um, I'm in, I think it's this one. She's in one of the books. Yeah, she's in uh, she's in this one. Survive with me. Yep. So I was like, oh, I had a credit at uh, an uh, Audible, and I was like, I'm going to grab it because Todd had just talked about it at one of her meetings. So I grabbed it, loving it so far. Very, you know, incredible writing. And I'm also uh, reading um, Alessandro Manzetti's new poetry book. I don't know the name of it, though. But uh, he sent that to me in the mail, and I'm loving that so far. So, again, another three good books at once. And, uh, and then obviously anything I'm editing, which uh, – <laughs> is always fun to read. <laughs> Just slower reads there. I would imagine The Rust Maidens is a great audible read. The prose in that book is just, uh, it's gorgeous. There's something I, the way she writes that just, like, it's so soothing. Um, uh-huh. I, mean, I, I listened to the audiobook last year uh, when I was commuting to work. And, yeah, it's like, it's one of those that I didn't want to get out of the car I just would sit there for like 10 minutes and just to keep listening. <laughs> That's the same thing. I usually listen to it when I mow, which I have to find it, you know, cause now that it's winter, I have to find another thing to do to listen to it. But I would be sitting there on the mower, just letting it run, just listening to it, <laughs> sitting still, you know? Um, yeah. Really incredible uh, writer. Uh-huh. Looking forward to getting back into that. I'm really into this cipher now. So I've kind of pushed that to the, to the front. That's awesome. Pat, how about you? What are you reading? So I'm finishing up uh, – actually, this is a good time to throw this in there too. I'm finishing up Ghoul. Um, 
I don't know how many pages I got left, but I'm going to be done with it by tomorrow night, which is uh, just in time because Brennan, myself, and Ken McKinley are uh, putting together a new podcast, one episode per month. It is basically a book club slash round discussion of, you guessed it, horror classic books. What the title is, Brennan and I don't even know at this point, so... (laughs) I think Ken's. I, I, I tried to ask Ken before the show. I'm pretty sure he's just holstering it to uh, do some kind of surprise because that's. You want to talk about somebody who doesn't sleep? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no Seriously. shit. So uh, the first book we'll be talking about is Brian uh, Keen's Ghoul. After that, well, you'll have to listen to it or skip to the end to find out what episode two is. But uh, we're just kind of all over the place with the horror classics. It's not like, oh, it's Frankenstein, Dracula. These are, they're going to be fun. Just to name some authors, I won't say the order, because, again, we don't even know, but Robert Block, I know, was discussed in there, as was Ronald Kelly. Um, and there's a whole list, a whole list that Ken has, and I'm like, haven't heard of half these people. So <laughs> for myself, and I'm sure for Brennan, it'll be educational. So I'm, re- I'm finishing up Ghoul. And I'm finishing up uh, Aaron Dries and Mark Allen Gunnell's uh, Where the Dead Go to Die. That's uh, – it hit hard for me. Uh, I'm not done with it yet, but it made me think of my son, uh, and I did not like those thoughts. But I also love them as a horror reader, so a little conflicted. It's a great book. It's just uh, heavy, heavily uh, driven by emotion, which I think is the point. Uh, it's a really good book. Yeah. I don't want it to sound like it's not a good book. So, Brennan, what are you reading? Um, first of all, I'd just say that plug was absolutely shameless. Um, oh, I, oh, I don't give a fuck. It's my show, <laughs> <and> yours. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Um, I just finished up uh, A Place for Sinners by Aaron Drys this afternoon. And that is uh, – I, I went online and, and I said, I think in response to that, Jesus fucking Christ. And he uh, – Aaron came on and he he quoted it and he said, yeah, I'm going to get this tattooed on me. Um, and, and that's really, you know, 250 page af- pages after I put that up. I really don't have anything to add to that. It's a violent, dark, twisted, scary book. Uh, it's really something else. Um, and I'm also kind of midway through Cena Paleo's uh, Santa Muerte, which is a little bit more toned down. It's got gang violence, but it's YA. So, I mean, and it's it, it, almost anything I've read this year is toned down compared to uh, that, that Aaron Dry's book. <laughs> yeah. Aaron tends to, he, he cranks it to 11 and just leaves it there. <laughs> Aaron's a great guy. He went to 11, oh, yeah. like the first couple pages and then held it, held it there for the next like 350. Yeah. I um I bought Survivor by JF Gonzalez and when I when I was waiting for it and then when I actually held him like I haven't felt this since I bought uh, Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door so I'm pretty I got many emotions for that one because you're talking about cranking it up I've I've only heard that one is cranked up to max uh, which one the Ketchum novel or the Gonzalez novel Gonzalez I read Ketchum's uh, yeah Girl Next Door. I listened to The Girl Next Door this uh, earlier this year for the first time. Oh, man. And uh, Dallas actually read it in the recording. Oh, wow. And uh, that book destroyed me. I did the um, same thing this year, actually. I listened to the audiobook. Yeah. I went back to it for, for that reason, but uh, same thing. 
yeah. It's, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely There's some triggers in that one. There. There's a lot of subtext in that in that story. That's yeah. Um, really, really interesting because uh, it talks about like, you know, in a way, it talks about our, our true nature as human beings. And hmm. Sad. It's it's <laughs> scary. Extremely sad. Yeah. So where can people follow you guys? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm everywhere. I'm in your house right now. Like Santa. Yeah. Right behind uh, that gorilla. No, um, <laughs> I'm all over social media. Uh, Todd Keesling, uh, at Todd Keesling on uh, Instagram, Todd underscore Keesling on Twitter. My website's ToddKeesling.com. My Patreon is Patreon.com slash Todd Keesling. Uh, I think you see a trend here. Just Google me. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you didn't say I'm the man in your garden. <laughs> yes, I'm the man in your garden. But uh, I'm just right at WKing.com. You can all my social media links are there. I'll make it easy on you. <laughs> Brett, is there anything else that you want to cover before we say goodnight? No, I think we hit it all, man. So this will be up uh, next Thursday when you're listening. So this will be episode 57, one of us with Todd Keesling and Kenneth W. Kane. Just so happens, two episodes after that, episode 59, Todd will rejoin us uh, in the first roundtable discussion episode that we uh, will ever have had on the show. It's called Faith and Horror with Ronald Kelly, Mercedes M. Yardley, John Quick, and uh, Todd. Me and Brennan are probably going to just listen for the whole thing, but uh, it's basically a discussion about three people that are, uh, I would assume, heavily religious, that write horror and dark fiction, and uh, Todd Kieslin. Uh, it was his idea to come on, which, well, not him to come on, but someone that has a counterbalance to uh, faith-filled humans that also write horror. So I was like, Todd, why not you? And Because he's the perfect candidate for it. So <laughs> it'll be interesting, you heathen. <laughs> Hail Satan. <laughs> that should be interesting. <laughs> and the link for the book to order it, uh, paperback or Kindle, by the time this is out, um, one of us, a tribute to Frank Michael Zarentan. That will be on the uh, show notes um, we'll have it on Twitter. Dead. Hey, uh, what the fuck is it? I don't remember our Twitter account. There's an underscore in there somewhere. Dead underscore headspace. Nailed it. Um, we encourage everyone to buy this. You know, me and Brennan are going to. It goes to a good cause. But when it's uh, available for you, and when you, well, it's available now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And we uh, yeah. at the beginning again. I'm just rambling on. Buy the <laughs> fucking book. Have a good night. Have a good day. Good morning. Have a good one. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving Deadhead Space. I wasn't on, admittedly too keen on that. That's why I put the stipulation that there could be no ghost stories because that's your challenge. Do something original, not a fucking ghost story. <laughs> and uh, Laurel Hightower is uh, going to kick your ass. If she that's hears fine. This. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I love Laurel. She She's cool. Hey, Please anyone kick my ass, Laurel. Anyone who doesn't love Laurel can go fuck themselves. I have to throw that in one episode. I second that now. Um, 